Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. same word that's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, God. The word that is energized and able to do whatever it needs to do. We thank you, Father, for wisdom this morning and revelation in the knowledge of you. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Give us understanding. Give us knowledge. Give us revelation. Show us the things that we know not. And we thank you, Father, that each and every one of us will receive here this morning exactly what we need. This message is for everybody, but there are certain parts of it for each one individually. And we know, Father, that they're going to hear it this morning with their spiritual ears. And they're going to hear what the Spirit is saying to them, Lord. So we thank you for that revelation to come this morning. And then give us application. Show us how to use it, how to apply it. Give us the strength and the wherewithal to do it. We thank you and we praise you for it, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you, Judah. Doesn't it look good with all four Judas up there this morning? Judas, not Judas's. Judas. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Anybody get chilly this morning? It's warm and toasty in here, though, isn't it? Amen. Hallelujah. Bright lights, soft seats, climate control, atmosphere. Man, sure beats a cave somewhere, doesn't it? Amen. Or a wet, damp forest somewhere, doesn't it? Yes. Hallelujah. We're so blessed. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 11. Now don't jump ahead of me. I know most of you think I'm going to be reading out of Mark 11, 23 and 24. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. And then after we read it, I'm going to teach a lesson on faith. And if that's what you think, you would be wrong this morning. It is true that it's almost impossible for a Raymond graduate to open the Gospel of Mark without reading those two verses and then teaching a lesson on faith, but this morning I'm not going to do it. But in Mark chapter 11, we find ourselves on the Sunday beginning the Passover week, or which is also known as Holy Week. And there were seven feasts that the Jews celebrated Matter of fact, they were required to celebrate them as a memorial. In other words, God created these feasts and told them to celebrate them. He made it an ordinance so that they would remember certain things. And the Feast of Passover is the biggest and the most significant feast out of all of them. And Jews from all over the world were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover at this time. And Leviticus 23 and 5, it specifies that the festival year begins with the Feast of Passover on the 14th day of the first month on the Jewish calendar, which would be Nisan. And in both the Old and the New Testaments, Passover represents salvation and the blood of a lamb that delivers God's people from slavery and bondage. The Jew from Egypt and the Christian from sin. Amen. We've all been delivered from the bondage of sin. Because sin is a bondage. Sin is slavery. We're no longer slaves to sin. Amen? Amen. So if you think about the 10th plague that was in Egypt in chapter 12, where Egypt's firstborn sons all died from the death angel. But he passed over the Jewish homes because they 
killed the lamb and they applied the blood of the lamb to the doorposts and lentils of their houses. And when the death angel seen that, he had to pass over. He couldn't go in that house and destroy. But any house that didn't have the blood, he was allowed to go in and destroy. So in that prophetic model, the Passover lamb was selected on the 10th day of Nisan and sacrificed on Passover in the evening of the 14th day of Nisan. It's the perfect fulfillment of that prophetic model. Now Jesus was selected on Palm Sunday when he rode into Jerusalem because they received him as their Messiah. So he was selected on Palm Sunday, the 10th of Nisan, sacrificed on Passover, the 14th of Nisan, fulfilling perfectly the prophetic model that we have in Exodus chapter 12. So in Egypt, the Jew marked his house with the blood of a lamb. Today we, might, we mark our house, his body, the house of his spirit, the temple of the Holy Ghost, with the blood of Christ, who is our Passover lamb. And that's commemorated in our communion uh, supper. So Israel had the blood of a lamb, we have the blood of the lamb. Israel had a covenant based on the blood of an animal. We have a covenant based on the blood of Christ, the blood of God, and it's a new and better covenant because it's based upon better promises because of the blood. So we have a, a physical house made of flesh and bone. They, Egypt, the uh, slaves in Egypt had a house made of brick and mortar and wood. So although Jesus walked in the earth and in the flesh for 33 years, and John said of him that if all the things Jesus said and did should be written, that even the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written as a result of the things that Jesus did. So he did a lot more and said a lot more than we have record of in the four gospels. Amen? But here's my point, of all those things that Mark could have wrote about and could have discussed in his gospel, he spends about a third of his gospel talking about the events that occurred during this one week, Holy Week. And so that tells us how important it is to the Holy Spirit and to God for us to know what was happening during this 11th chapter of Mark. And I've been meditating on this chapter 11 all week and I learned some interesting things and there's some tremendous lessons here that we could learn from the events that occurred during this week and that's why we're here today I want to look at a couple of them just a couple of them because there's a lot of them and see what we can glean just from a couple of these things that happened in the 11th chapter you got your thinking caps on this morning, your listening ears this morning, your spiritual ears this morning. Good. The events that occurred this week are almost always used by Christian preachers, and I myself have used them all over the all over the place as, as we preach our Palm Sunday slash going into Easter messages. But this is not going to be one of those messages. I know it started out and you're probably thinking, man, he's going to preach Palm Sunday or Easter today. But the week starts out with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And the people receive him as king and they honor him as their Messiah. And we know this because they pay tribute and homage to him as they spread their coats and garments and palm leaves in the path in front of him for him to walk on. And that was the custom of that day for welcoming a new king. As they went before him, they're crying, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed be he that comes in the name or in the authority of the Lord. So there's no doubt about who they thought he was. They thought that he was the Messiah. They thought that he was their king but they thought he was going to be an earthly king and he was going to put together an army and conquer the Romans and set them free. But they didn't realize he's their spiritual king and that fleshly part is going to come later. Because here they're calling him king and Messiah and Hosanna and then, you know, a few days later they're saying crucify him, crucify him. 
So they're a little confused. But look at Mark chapter 11 and verse 11. I almost want to say 22 and 23, but I'm going to read it in the amp. Mark 11, 11 through 14 in the amp. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple enclosure. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the 12 disciples because it was already late in the day. And what I want you to notice is that after all the hoopla and his triumphal entry and all the praises and shouting and everything, Jesus went to the temple, the place of worship where people are supposed to be honoring God and the Bible says he just looked around at everything. He seen, for example, that there were uh, that uh, people were there to worship. He seen priests and money changers and merchants scurrying around carrying merchandise throughout the course. He seen lamb and sheep pens, sheep pens and goat pens and dove cages, and he seen what we would describe today as a flea market. That's what it looked like in the temple courts. And I know he didn't like what he saw, but he didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. The Bible says he just looked at everything. And when Jesus looks at everything, that means he's seen everything. He didn't miss anything. And then the Bible says he left for Bethany with the 12 disciples because it was already late in the day. Now, that's probably why he didn't say or do anything. It was too late to start something and be able to finish it before dark. So keep that in mind as we move on to the, to the next verse, verse 12, which is Monday. Sunday was a triumphal entry. Now we're on Monday. And he's returning to Jerusalem from Bethany. And in verse 12, it says, on the next day, Monday, when they had left Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he would find anything on it. Now, it didn't just say a fig tree. It said a fig tree in leaf. And that's important. But he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, the fig tree, no one will ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening to what he said. And this has been puzzling to the disciples and to Bible scholars and students alike ever since. Why did Jesus curse that fig tree? Why did Jesus speak to that fig tree in the manner that he did? What was it that the fig tree did that caused him to be angry enough to curse it? Was it because he was hungry? Was it because he was angry? Was it because he was angry? It doesn't really say, but I don't think Jesus was that fleshly that he would get upset because he was hungry and curse a fig tree because of it. I mean, this is the same man that spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness fasting and not eating or drinking anything. So I'm sure he didn't curse that tree because he was hungry. He had the capacity to put his hunger aside. He had his flesh under control. Besides, that's the way Jesus does things sometimes. He, he leaves you guessing or wondering, which is really good for us because it causes us to think. It causes us to dig a little more. It causes us to read the chapter before and the chapter after and try to find out in context what he was saying or why he was saying it. And sometimes that's all there is to it. He just wants you to dig a little bit. He's not hiding anything. He wants you to dig a little bit. He wants you to show some hunger for the word. And then the Holy Spirit will give you revelation and wisdom. Amen? I do know this much in the Old Testament. If you do a search on the fig tree, you'll find that in a couple places, at least two places that I found, it's a picture or a type of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And fruit is used throughout the Bible to uh, describe or as a sign of inner health. 
I mean, if you're producing good fruit on the outside, that means you're healthy on the inside. Everything's going right on the inside. Your, your roots are deep and they're drawing the nutrients and the uh, necessary minerals and everything that it needs to be healthy and produce good fruit. And Jesus himself said a good, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So if there's fruit on the tree, it's a good tree. If there's no fruit on the tree, it's a bad tree. And we'll come back, come back to that in a few minutes, but right now I want you to go to verse 15 because that's really where I'm wanting to get to and, and what I want to focus on for the next few minutes. Uh, now remember, this is Monday, and yesterday Jesus entered the temple, but he just looked around at everything. Now Mark eleven fifteen. This is in the King James. It says, And they come to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus went into the temple exactly like he did the day before. But he didn't have to look around at everything this time because he's got a good memory. He scoped it out the day before, and he remembers everything he looked at and seen, and he probably meditated on it all night and to decide what he was going to say and do about it because he didn't like what he seen. And so it says here, he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer or permit or allow that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. The only vessels that were supposed to be going through the temple or being carried through the temple were vessels in the course of worshiping and honoring God. You know, the vessels that the priest would eat or drink out of or, or serve the Lord or something like that. And no other vessel was permitted and it was only permitted to be carried by the priests. And here people are running around. It's a flea market. And they're running around with all their goods back and forth, selling things, restocking shelves. You know, you know, like Disney World, you go to Disney World and they got these refreshment stands. And, and I know they have an underground system, so there's not a whole lot of deliveries and four wheelers and two wheel carts going around the, the thing. But it's busy getting restocked all the time because people are going back and forth buying things and it has to be replenished. And that's kind of what the scurrying around was in the temple. They're moving animals around and cages around and setting up pens and uh, moving tables and all this busyness. And Jesus didn't like it. And many Christians view Jesus as being meek. And he is meek. He's one of, he was one of the most meekest men in the world. Uh, Moses was one of the meekest men in the world. But meek doesn't necessarily mean weak. Jesus might have been meek, but he was not weak. This is one man, he fashions a cord of, uh, a strand of cords and, and makes a whip and turns over money changers and busts open pig pens, and, or not pig pens, but uh, animal pens where the animals are pinned up and he breaks open the dove cages and dove, doves are flying and animals are running all, and he's running these merchants out of the temple. One man against an army. But you know, I've heard it said that if you got Jesus on your side, that's the only army you need. Amen. So Jesus was a bad dude. He was not, he was meek, but he wasn't weak. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Jesus is taking care of business here. And you may not have realized this, but this is the second time that Jesus drove these people out of the temple. If you look in John's gospel, you'll see in the uh, beginning of his ministry, he just comes out of the wilderness and he goes in and he's, he reads in the uh, synagogue and then he goes to the temple and he drives them all out. This is in the first couple of weeks of his ministry and he drove them out. But the greed was so strong that before you know it, they come back and start doing the same things again. And this is the temple in Jerusalem. There weren't a bunch of temples around. There was one temple. And it's the temple in Jerusalem. And so this is the second time that he kicked their derriers and threw them out of the temple. 
But what made Jesus so angry? Now he's angry this time, but it's a righteous indignation. It's righteous anger. And I've used that phrase myself. Well, uh, Pastor, I said, you really lost it that time, you know. And I was righteously anger, angry. She's, and she said, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> you were just angry. And it's the truth. I don't think anybody can be righteously angry except Jesus. But it was because the temple was supposed to be a house of prayer, a house of worship, and a house of fellowship. But the religious leaders had a money laundering operation going on in the temple, kind of like the little country in Europe whose borders were spending billions of taxpayer dollars on while our borders are wide open. Money's going in, it's getting laundered, it's getting distributed, and it's coming back out. That's what's going on in the temple. The house of prayer, the house of worship, the house where God's people are supposed to meet and fellowship. But anyway, the temple was overrun by a money-making scam that was set up by the priests themselves, the leaves of the fig tree. And they're supposed to be leading worship and prayer and encouraging fellowship amongst those with the same faith. And here's how it worked. Now again, this is Holy Week. And the Jews are here from all over the world because they're required to come to the temple that time of year to celebrate these feasts so they don't forget the things that the Lord did for them. And they're here to celebrate the Feast of Passover. And so they come together to worship and make offerings at the temple. But when the Jews from the other lands tried to offer their money, it being foreign, the priests will say, oh, sorry, that's the wrong currency. But you can go to the money changers. Remember them? The money changers table. You can go to the money changers and exchange it for the right currency. And then God will accept your offering. And it's only going to cost you 50 bucks. Of which they were paid a certain percentage. And then many of the Jews bought an brought animals to sacrifice. And these are special animals. They're raised uh, in the house with their children. They're like pets. And they're watched over and they're kept and they're groomed and they're fed right and they're kept healthy. And they take these lambs with them on this long journey and it's for the purpose of sacrifice. And they had to be inspected by the priest before they can sacrifice it. And the priest would inspect it and say, oh, I'm sorry, but this lamb has a blemish on it. And that makes it unacceptable for a second. God won't accept this lamb. And I know you can't see the blemish, but I'm anointed of God, and I'm specially trained to see this blemish. And this has a blemish on it. Trust me, he'll never accept your lamb. But I have good news for you. You can go to those that buy and sell doves, and other animals and exchange it for an acceptable, suitable lamb, one that the Lord will sacrifice and we will guarantee it. Praise the Lord. And all is not lost. I can still get my sacrifice done. Oh, and it's only going to cost you 200 bucks and your lamb. It's a trade-in. Trade your lamb in and 200 bucks, just like buying a car. Trade your lamb in at 200 bucks and you can have this fine specimen of a lamb. Oh, and God bless you as you go. And they will get a percentage of that. See, the only thing is you exchange it for a lamb that was rejected by a priest the day before and it was traded in so they could get that special lamb and now you're getting the one that was rejected the day before. Now it's special and has no blemishes on it. It was a racket and a scam, and Jesus seen through it. That's the things he's seen the day before, everything. And it's a racket and a scam that preyed on the poor people that came to worship with a sincere heart and a desire 
to worship God and pray and sacrifice and receive their blessings and have fellowship with other believers. And it was actually a mockery of God and the faith that they had in their religion. And that made Jesus fighting mad. And again, this, this was the second time Jesus did this because uh, he did it three years earlier when he started his ministry. And, uh, but the greed of the priests were so strong that they came right back and set it up again. They're cro crooked little businesses. And no wonder he was angry. Plus, he was hungry, too. Remember, no fix? <laughs> I, I had to say. Never mind. I get cranky when I'm hungry. And according to Pastor Ed, I get cranky when my blood sugar is up. Just, <laughs> just said, did you check your blood sugar today? In other words, you're cranky for some reason. <laughs> But anyway, he turns over the money changers. There's money rolling all over the temple floor, and he's breaking down them animal pens, and there's animals running all over, and he opens the dove cages, and doves are flying all over the place, and he's cracking that whip, and merchants are running and fleeing for their lives, and I mean, it was like crazy in the temple for it. I don't know how long it took them to do it, but I know it was quite a scene, and the priest was getting their Backsides kicked too. One man against an army, but when it was all over, Jesus stood there triumphant. And in verses 17 through 19, he told them, Is it not written, My house should be called of all nations? Notice he called it his house. This is God's temple, this is God's house. And he says, Isn't it written, My house should be called of all nations, the house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves, and now you know why. And unfortunately, you know, what's that got to do with the price of milk in China? I'm getting to that now. Unfortunately, it still goes on in the churches today. Prayer, worship, and fellowship with other believers of like faith should be the intended purpose of every house of God, every church in the world, every Christian church in the world. That should be the primary intention and purpose. Amen. We come here to fellowship with our brothers and sisters. This is called Faith Fellowship Church. We come here to fellowship with our brothers and sisters because they believe like we do and we can encourage one another, strengthen one another, support one another, and we come here for prayer and worship. And that should be the intended purpose, but it gets lost along the way. And one of the reasons it gets lost is because there's greed in the leadership. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a coffee shop or a, a bookstore in the church. There's no problem with that. So don't run in the back, start overturning the fellowship table or throwing the books off the shelf. It's okay to have that kind of stuff. This is not what Jesus is talking about. And yes, the kids can still get... <laughs> sell their little Girl Scout cookies and their popcorn and their candy bars uh, for their fundraising. I don't think those things are a problem. Uh, the real issue is the same thing that was in the temple, greed in the leadership and greed in the church. And there's plenty of churches that are like that today. Amen. Yes. They come up with gimmicks to take advantage of people's good hearts. And a gimmick, according to Webster's Dictionary, is an attention-getting device or feature, typically superficial, designed to promote the success of a product, campaign, any clever little gadget or ruse. A ruse. It's a ruse. And churches use money gimmicks all the time to increase offerings, and I think it's disgraceful. And there were times in this church that we needed increase in offerings and we had special projects or we had a, a, a special thing pop up that cost us more money than was in the budget. But I didn't come up with a ruse or a gimmick. I told you, we need some extra money. If you could help us, please do. And you always did. Amen. I didn't have to come up with a gimmick to get you to give. It cheapens biblical stewardship. Yeah. Yes. And that's what it is. We're all stewards 
of God's stuff. Yes. And it makes the leadership look like charlatans. We should teach biblical stewardship, which is really not complicated. There's three principles, three main principles uh, or truths that we should know about stewardship. Number one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, the earth and everything in it, on it, around it, under it, belongs to God. Amen. Like one preacher said, he owns uh, the cattle on a thousand hills and the taters underneath them. He owns it all. So in other words, God owns it all. If you have anything at all, it's because he allowed you to have it and you have to be a steward over it. It doesn't belong to you. You don't own it. Number two, since God owns it all, he has all the rights as the owner. And we're simply manager, managers of what he entrusts us with. Look at the parable of the talents. Therefore, the question is not, God, what should I do with my money? It's, God, what should I do with your money? Amen. And number three, God should be considered in every financial decision you ever make, every spending decision that you ever make, God should be considered in. Amen. Ask God. Should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? Should I invest in this? Should I send my child to this school, that school? And God will tell you, you'll get the best for your money. Amen. And when it comes to giving, this is it. This is simple. But this is it. The Bible teaches us about tithes and offerings. That's the only giving in the church. A tithe is 10% of everything we earn gross before taxes why because if you tithe on the net after taxes that means that uncle sam got the tithe and you gave god what was left over god gets the tithe he gets the tenth off the top then uncle sam <laughs> But the tithe is given to God through the local church that we are a part of. This is how he supports not only the church, but the kingdom of God. No other gimmicks, no bake sales, no garage sales, none of that stuff. And I don't think you'll go to hell if you have a garage sale or a bake sale, uh, you know, a fundraiser. I don't think that's wrong, but when we go to that, uh, extreme that we have to have a garage sale and keep the lights on we have stopped trusting god and and leaning on god to meet all our needs and we're trusting on the arm of man to meet all our needs Amen. gimmicks you know uh, thank god he's supporting us but but we need this too also to help god no it's all god or nothing amen, amen. then there are offerings after the tithe, then there are offerings which are gifts that are given above and beyond the tithe. You don't see any other type of giving. You don't see God extracting money from his people through any other uh, kind of giving or gimmicks. It's tithes and offerings, period. Amen. Not complicated. And that's how God finances the church. That's how God finances the kingdom. Now, we're learning about sowing and reaping, giving and receiving, seed time and harvest. Uh, but it's not a gimmick. God teaches us specifically that whosoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly, whosoever sows bountifully reaps bountifully. It just makes good sense. The more you give, the more you get back. The more a farmer plants, the more harvest he gets. That's not a gimmick. So if if uh, like we just said if you need something sow a seed for it okay it could be for finances and offering in the church like i said or it could be you know uh you can sow love you can sow compassion you can sow 
a, a shoulder to cry on. You can sew a helping hand. You can sew a bag of groceries. You can sew uh, uh, somebody a tank of gas. There's all kinds of things you can sow. It's not a gimmick. You're planting for a harvest. But it's taken to extremes and with greedy leadership where they have a special offering, uh, uh, sow a special $100 seed. And if you plant this seed out of your need and go into a holy agreement with God, then together you and God can expect a mighty miracle to happen. You're, you're, how did Rick Brennan put it? You're merchandising the anointing. God don't play games like that. He don't, he don't participate in gimmicks and scams. Yes, sow a seed. And sow it as a harvest. Uh, uh, sow it as uh, you're expecting a harvest from it. There's no guarantee that it's a special seed and God's going to do something special for you. You plant and you receive according to biblical principles only. Yeah. And then there's, for a gift of $25 or more, and more is better because it will increase the anointing. You can have this special bottle of miracle water or miracle oil, especially anointed to save your loved ones. Just put a drop on their head while they're sleeping and God will save them. That's a scam. I mean, the, the early church tried that with indulgences. You know, give this special offering and we'll give you this contract, this guarantee from God that he will save your family. What poor little old mother or father wouldn't want that for their family? And these poor people were spending all they had on these indulgences thinking that they would, it would save their wayward children who are out in the world partying and doing whatever, you know. Well, uh, let's buy this indulgent. I know it takes all of our savings and we won't be able to eat for a month, but let's buy this indulgent to get our children into heaven. Scam. Peter warned the church about this chicanery. He said in 2 Peter 2, 3, through covetousness or through greed shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. The New Living Translation says, in their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. And that's going on in the churches today. I see it on television with evangelists. They come on, they got this holy water direct from the Red Sea. And if you send an offering, we'll send you this holy water and they'll do these miracles. A piece of cloth. This is an anointed piece of cloth. And I've heard some go as far as to say it's from the, sh the shroud of Tehran. In other words, this is the shroud that Jesus was buried in. And we're going to send you this one inch by one inch square of this holy material. And, and you can lay it on people and get miracles and all of this. And people fall for this. It's a scam. It's a clever lie to get a hold of your money. And boy, they're going to be in the front of the line on Judgment Day. And there's a problem when church leaders take advantage of the people's pure hearts and their true desire to worship and, and fellowship. They come up with these schemes and special offerings that have certain promises of God attached to them. If you, get a, if you give a certain amount, then God will do this. Now, there are promises, you know. God says, bring all your tithes and offerings into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. Now, if you do this, there's a promise there that God will rebuke the devourer for your sake. You know, the devil's trying to steal, kill, and devour everything that you have. And it says God will rebuke the devourer. Well, that's a promise. If you tithe and give offerings, God will rebuke the devourer. And there are promises like that in the Bible, but you can't say that if you give this special seed offering, buy this holy water, do this or that, that God will save your loved ones, or God will, you'll, you'll get a check in the mail, and we see it on Facebook sometimes, you know, uh, pass it, it's like a chain letter, pass this on, and within two weeks, 
you'll receive a check in the mail. It's evil and it's shameful. So did the priests repent after Jesus rebuked them and ran them out of the temple for their evil schemes? Look at verse 18. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And I'm going to add to that and say it was his doctrine of truth. You know, uh, these evil, crooked, scam, schemers, whatever, they're afraid of the truth because the truth will expose them. So they not only didn't repent, but they wanted to kill him after that. And when evening was come, verse 19, and when evening was come, he went out of the city, him and his disciples. I bet he did. <laughs> but all that happened on Monday, the day after his triumphal entry into the city where he was received as the Messiah, the, their king, and he was honored and they paid homage and tribute to him and now not so much so he goes back to Bethany and he's probably staying at Lazarus house because Lazarus and Mary and her sister Martha lived in Bethany so that's probably where he's staying and uh, now remember I told you earlier we get back to the fig tree and cursing of and all of that well we're back but anyway that was some of the stuff I gleaned from that and I'm going to bring it all home here in a few minutes before we close but remember as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem the day before there's a fig tree advertising fruit because a fig tree usually starts out with the leaves or with the fruit and then the leaves come and the, the leaves push, push the fruit into fruition. And uh, so if the tree has leaves on it, it's supposed to have fruit. So Jesus being hungry decided to partake of his fruit, but when he got there, no fruit. Have you ever seen an advertisement for something that you really wanted and you got so excited because it's for it's on sale and it's cheap and you're getting 50 percent off and all of this stuff but when you went to buy it they didn't have what was advertised and tried to sell you something else we call it false advertising it's actually illegal it draws you in but then it doesn't deliver the goods that it advertised and you remember how upset you were i know i was i went to uh look at a particular car one time Oh, I'm sorry. We don't have that car, you know. Uh, it was actually sold last week. What do you mean last week? I seen the advertisement yesterday, you know. So you know it was a scam, a scheme. But we got one almost identical to it. It just has a couple more options. No, thank you. But anyway, I was upset. And that's how Jesus was. He was upset. So he spoke to the tree. Not to God, not to the, to the disciples. He spoke to the tree. And it seems strange that he would speak to inanimate objects, but he did that all the time. Remember in the next verses, he taught us how to speak to mountains. <laughs> I get ready to quote Mark 11, 22 and 23. No. He said that he taught us to speak to mountains and they would have to obey us. So there's no reason to believe that this tree didn't respond. I mean, if the mountains had to obey, this tree had to obey, and the tree had to respond to his words. And, and it says, And Jesus answered, answered and said unto it, the tree. Now, I don't know the question that the tree asked, but it specifically says here, Jesus answered that tree. And he said, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And you may think what Jesus told the tree was a little harsh, but when you realize that the tree was representative of the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, you'll have a better understanding, and, and particularly the Jewish leaders, then we could better understand what Jesus did. The tree was hypocritical. 
It was advertising fruit, but not producing any. The tree Israel was advertising fruit, but it only had leaves for show. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside, they were corrupt. Remember, a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree, bad fruit. And, you know, fruit was a sign of inner health. Well, Israel was not healthy on the inside. There was something wrong with the nation of Israel and the people's hearts. And God was showing that through the fig tree. But no matter how good something may look on the outside, it's no indication of what's on the inside. Amen. See, I'm looking good up here today, man. I got me some nicely pressed jeans. I ain't got a crease in them, but they're nice and pretty. Ain't no wrinkles in them. Nice shoes. Nice shirt that was pressed. You know, I'm looking good. But you have no idea what's going on on the inside of me. Amen. God does. God looks on the heart of man. He looks on the inside. He's not impressed with the outside. And that's exactly how it was with Israel. As you looked at the temple from a distance, everything looked good to the travelers as they approached there and they made their way to celebrate the feast and especially Passover. They were so excited to offer their sacrifices and they were so excited looking forward to worship and prayer and fellowship with other believers. They were hungry for God, but what they didn't realize is they had become a tree. Israel had become a tree with no fruit. So they're advertising fruit. They're looking good on the outside. Everything's going on. They're doing all the right stuff. But on the inside. So the Israelites in Jerusalem were faithfully going through the motions of Passover. And that remember it was perpetual ordinance that was designed to bring to memory the things that should never be forgotten just like our communion table and they were to always remember through these feasts and never forget what God did for them and in this case saved them God saved you and me Amen. we should never forget that but we're forgetful people so he gives us a memorial on the communion table which we don't have here today we had a uh, two, two weeks ago or whatever but we have it once a month Why? as a reminder that God saved us and what he did for us so this is one of the feasts that remind them of that but somehow the very things that should not be forgotten were forgotten and lost oh they were going through the motions and as you look from a distance you think man everything looks good you show up at the temple for Passover great gave my offering made my sacrifice great priests doing their thing great and now that we've fulfilled our religious duty maybe God will send us the Messiah and he can fix all our problems but the worship was empty and the first problem to fix was inside his people looking good on the outside Dead on the inside, bad on the inside, can't produce fruit. And what about us? We made it to church today. Great, especially today. It's cold outside. Pastor's doing his thing. Great. Drop my offering in the bucket. Great. But does God want your money or does he want your heart? Are you going through the motions? Are we here to fulfill our religious duties or does this really mean something to us? Or are we looking good on the outside but we've lost the things that God wants us to remember and do? In the New Testament, we're God's temple. You're the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost. Are you a house of prayer, a house of worship? Do you come to church and fellowship with other believers and draw strength and encouragement from them? Has God got your heart or are you here for show? Are you here to satisfy that religious bone that you have on the inside of you? 
Don't lie. We can tell by the fruits. So remember the fig tree? Mark 11, 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. They noticed it. They were surprised by it, but Jesus wasn't surprised. Jesus knew the minute he spoke to it, way down in the ground somewhere, maybe the furthest root from the trunk of the tree began to wither and die. They couldn't tell it until it showed up on the outside. I can't tell what kind of mess you are until it shows up on the outside. You can't tell what kind of mess I am until it shows up on the outside. And now you notice, but God knows you've been withering for a long time on the inside. And remember that fig tree was a picture of Israel. We're a picture of Israel. From a distance, everything looked good. All the leaves looked like they were thriving. Nice, bright green. Soft and pliable, waving in the wind. It looked fruitful. It was advertising fruit. It was saying, come on, come and get some fruit. I have fruit. I got leaves, and it's advertising. But it was hypocritical. It was sitting there on the hill waving its religious leaves and advertising fruit that it didn't have. Think about it a minute. No fruit. So something's obviously wrong. And within one day, the tree withered and died. Within one day, from the roots. And here's the warning and here's the lesson that we need to walk away with today. And trust me, I'm not beating you up, but I have to challenge you every now and then. I have to get you to take spiritual inventory every now and then so we don't wind up like those busy priests in the temple. Here's the warning. That's what happens when you let your heart grow cold and distance yourself from God, not the church, you're here. But how close are you to God? This is what happens when you forget what really matters. And even though you're going through the motions and you're celebrating the feast, something's missing in here. Something's wrong with the roots because now you're just going through the motions of something. But you're not really experiencing it. And you can pretend for a while, and you can even look good for a while on the outside, but the roots, the parts that nobody sees except God, the roots, the place that your soul, your inner being gets all its nutrients from, they're withering and dying. And without good, healthy fruits, the tree or without good healthy roots, the tree has no chance of ever producing fruit. And not only that, but it's withering and it's gonna die. And this is what we have to be careful of all the time. You know, am I just going through the motions or is there something here? Do I really worship God? And as this is the place to do it. This is the house of worship. This is the house of prayer. This is where we get our main fellowship. Not to say that you can't get it out there in your car, in the shower. You can't get with Christian friends and have fellowship on the outside. But you need a church to come to, a storehouse where God has placed the food, the word, and a priest or a pastor to feed you. Not that you can't feed yourself, but you're not going to get all the nutrients you need by yourself because you will feed your flesh three hot meals a day and your spirit one snack a week Amen. 
Brother Hayden said that. So what's going to happen to your roots on that type of a diet? It's getting late. I don't want to believe you're the point. But I'm telling you, all this stuff we've been learning since the first of the year, seed time and harvest, sowing seed, reaping harvest and stuff like that. What type of, what type of soil are you? This is where, as my son Chris says, the rubber meets the road, Pops. You either got it or you don't. And if you don't got it, you better be working on getting it. Amen. Amen. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I'm not hangry. I had breakfast this morning. I'm telling you this for the same reason that Jesus would tell you, because I love you. And I don't want to see no hypocritical trees waving their leaves. But when it comes down to it, the rubber meets the road, there's no fruit there. Amen. 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 Let's start tending to our gardens. And let's start with the roots. Make sure the roots are healthy. You know, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Amen. You lop a branch off from the tree, and you're dead. You're good for nothing but to be put on the fire and burn because why the tree has got the roots and the roots are providing the nourishment and you're drawn from that tree you're drawn from the vine you stop drawing from the vine Jesus Christ and you're going to wither and die Amen. spiritually speaking oh you'll go around waving your leaves and looking all happy and everything but dead man walking Amen. Amen. Jesus called those religious leaders white-walled sepulchers, white-walled tombs, graves full of dead man's bones. Look good, all whitewashed, clean, looking good on the outside, but inside, dead man's bones. I don't want you to be that. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Father, we thank you and we praise you. God, we thank you for a good hard word every now and then, a word that will challenge us, Lord, a word that we know that we can rise up and meet the demands of. Yes. And Lord, I'm concerned for our spiritual well-being. I'm concerned for the roots. Is our roots in good soil? Yes. Is our roots able to draw good nutrients and minerals and all the things that we need to grow strong and healthy and produce good fruit? Yes. But are we withering? from the root because we're not drawing the nourishment that we need. We're not in the word like we're supposed to be. We're not in worship like we're supposed to be. We're not in prayer like we're supposed to be. And the lack of all these things is what causes the roots to begin to wither. And if we don't put a stop to it and change things and repent, then it will eventually hit the tree. This is what we're trying to avoid. We love you, God. We know you love us. We know that you have provided everything that we need. But we also know that it takes faith to step up to the table and partake of everything that you set before us. David said, you prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemy. You anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. I know everything that you prepared on that table is everything that we need. It's there at the table. Yeah. But we got to pull up our chair and help ourselves to it. And I know the children's bread, healing, is on that table. Yes. Healing biscuits are on that table. Yes. Provision is on that table. Protection is on that table. Everything we need is on that table. But you're not going to force feed us. You're just, you're just inviting us. And you're saying, come and eat. I tell you what, Lord, I'm pulling my chair up to the table every morning from now on. And I'm going to get all the nutrients and the minerals and the bread and everything I need. Because you give it freely. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 No excuses. It's all there. It's been provided.
This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.